Hi everyone and welcome to episode 10 of the Two Sporting Muppets. Uh, you're here with Greg and I'd like to introduce my co-host Gray. How are you this week mate? I'm very well, thanks Greg. Yourself? Good, it's been a good week. Little, we were just saying a little bit quiet in sport. Not saying there's not lots to talk about, but a bit quieter this week in the world of sport. I agree, quieter. Quieter. Yeah, certainly not. Yeah, certainly not nothing happening, but yeah, a little bit quiet. Probably for us today, a little bit more domestic than foreign. Yeah, not as much international sport to talk about. A couple of things we'll touch on, but not as much. But we let's acknowledge this is number 10 episode. I think we've done well to get to 10. Yes, 10, 10 more than I thought we'd get to, Greg. So Hit double figures, so that's a little bit exciting. So thank you, mate. No, really enjoyed you. it so far. No, thank you. And thank you to, to the... Um, Five or six people who are good, kind enough to listen regularly. Give us, make us get here every Friday to record. So yeah, again, thank you. And our first little achievement making ten episodes. I think it is something to be celebrated. All right, let's get into it. As you said, a bit quieter this week, but let's get hit off the mark. And I'll hand over to you, mate, to kick us off. Right, AFL. Now AFL, we've been a little bit quiet on its stages, but certainly not this week. Right, so we'll start with last week, the final round of the AFL. So what happened earlier on? The Demons flogged the Lions, which not an upset, but it was at home at the Gabba, second versus third or thereabouts, and the Demons absolutely toweled up the Lions. So Lions have a bit of work to do for the finals. So Tigers, Dockers, Swans, albeit unconvincingly against St Kilda, the Swannies, and the Cats, they finished with wins to secure their final spots. So the Bulldogs defeated Hawthorne, which they needed to do to be a chance of the top eight. Now the big one in the blockbuster, Carlton versus Collingwood. Carlton had to win or even draw, right, to go to wrap up eighth spot and then the Bulldogs would be out. And they were 20-odd ahead, I think, late in the third quarter. One of those games, Greg, where do you know when you just know what's going to happen? It's just get that feeling. The, the comeback was always going to happen. I didn't see that. I'll be honest, I didn't see the game. Yeah, it was rocking. The MCG was, you know, it was... 88,000. It was a yeah. huge, massive crowd. 80-odd thousand. And, of course, you know, Collingwood, who were huge supporter base anytime, and Carlton, who have a big supporter base and have been doing it so tough for so long. And it was, yeah, you know, it, was a, it was a tough, good game. I was sort of flicking between NRL and AFL. I just had a feeling Collingwood would find a way and they did at one stage, I think the scores were even, or Collingwood's got a goal late, still 50 seconds left. And if Carlton, like the ball went down to their forward line, they had to just snuck a point. Apparently a draw would have been enough, but they couldn't. And Collingwood ended up winning by one measly point. Meaning that, and while this was happening, the Bulldogs and Hawthorne played down at Launceston. Yeah, one of the Hawthorne home games down there. So they were at Launceston Airport, I believe, watching it on the telly. I did see that on the news, the team in the, the room watching that the game while they're waiting for their flight back. And yes, and they were obviously, there were loud celebrations down at Launceston Airport when that result happened. So what it, what it meant was the Bulldogs just edged out Carlton by I think it was 0.6 of a percentage point. And Colton miss out again. Colton miss out again. Another year of torture for the Colton faithful. Look, they certainly are getting better. But, you know, you get good players like Patrick Criffs, who's a champion player for them, but he's not getting any younger. So, look, I think they'll continue to improve under Michael Voss. But, yeah, heartbreak for them. And, look, even I almost, I didn't, but I almost felt sorry for them. 
Because like you said, Carlton and Collie were the two teams I detest. But look, good season. No, in, in all seriousness, though, good season again, Carlton. Okay, almost, just not quite. I think I'll be very surprised if they're not playing finals footy next year. They seem to be on the cusp, as you said. And what was it, 0.6, you said? 0.6 of a percentage point to miss out. Cruelest of cruel blows for their supporters. But, you know, from what I've read and the bit I have watched, they certainly seem to be heading in the right direction. Mm. Particularly, though, their supporters who, remember last week, they were in front of Melbourne with only 30-odd seconds to go. And so that was it. They were wrapped up the final spot. So they had their heart ripped out two weeks running. They had two chances, but... They, they could have wrapped it up two weeks in a row and, right. and couldn't seal it at the business end yes. of the season. So a bit of, bit of work to do there, I guess. Yes, unfortunate, but hey, it's the way it goes. So the top eight finished like this. Geelong minor premiers, then Melbourne Melbourne second, Sydney third, and Collingwood in fourth, rounding up the top four, the, the chance in the finals. Now, Melbourne, Sydney, Collingwood were equal, equal points. It was just on percentage. So Melbourne had slightly bit about three-point higher percentage than the Swannies, and Swannies was significantly higher percentage than Collingwood. So that's what sort of determined that. Then we had Fremantle in fifth, Brisbane Lions sixth, Richmond Tigers seventh, and Bulldogs eighth. So, look, good finishing. So what it means for the finals. So, Greg, I won't talk too much. We, we, we know both our feelings of the AFL taking a week off before the finals. It's just, I don't get it. And I know, you know, New South Wales, deeper understanding of NRL and Flood Rugby League closer, but I was watching the Swans game, which happened to be the very last, Swans St Kilda game, which I watched, and it happened to be the very last game of the regular round, regular season. And it was it was exciting. The St Kilda were out of it, but Swans, depending, they had to win to make the top four, or they dropped out of the top four. Then if they won by a certain percentage, they could actually finish as high as second. So it made the game actually really exciting to watch and really you know it meant that the final eight in terms of their order wasn't decided to that fire final siren of that final game so it finished on a real high oh, buzz, yeah and yet now it's just a down week because there's no games this week no it's just they talk about momentum and everyone's ready to go the fans will be just you know chomping at the bit and nothing you know like i said the players i'm sure would love it and the coaching staff would love it but the only the only ones I can say, and I think we touched on this last week when we mentioned it, you know, those players with those niggling injuries, but that said, probably most of the players have an injury or so and a niggle going on, probably appreciate the week off. But in terms of fan drive and enthusiasm, it just is a bit flat. Yeah. Look, the AFL, they traditionally have on the Friday night now, like this week, to not, like a sort of celebrity game or old plays where they get them out and they have a bit of fun at the MCG, but it's... And bush footy, a lot of finals around this time can drive out. But yeah, I just think it's <laughs> it's just ridiculous, I think. But the AFL, that you know, when they first introduced it, they said, yep, yeah. there was a lot of backlash and they thought it'll be a one year only. But whether it's just arrogance or persistence or whether they just, the clubs actually do want it, I don't know. But it's just yeah, silly. Yeah, from a, from a purely spectator point of view, it seems silly. It just, you know, the whole momentum just diminishes for. 14 days, basically, because you've got you know, the week leading in, the weekend off, and then the week leading up to when the games start again. It's just, yeah. anyway, anyway, they obviously have their reasons, and it must be worth their while to continue, because as you said, not even any talk of them getting rid of it. Doesn't seem to be. So here to stay for a while. So the actual finals next week, when we get around to it, 
So we've got the Lions in Richmond. So that's an elimination final at the Gabba. Look, Lions, actually I had a quick look. Richmond are favourites, I believe, although it's at the Gabba. Because, look, really good top eight too because any team they get a roll on. You know, Richmond haven't been haven't been what they were a couple of years ago, but if they, I think Dustin Martin's due to return soon. If they get on a bit of confidence and on a roll, who knows? Look, the Lions can play really good footy, but they're just fairly inconsistent. You know, they need to get fire up a bit. Second versus third, so Melbourne versus Sydney at the MCG. That'll be a great match. Loser still gets, you know, obviously winner straight to the prelim final. Loser gets another chance. Geelong and Collingwood, also at the MCG. Now, we'll talk about that in a second, but that's Geelong home, supposed home game at the MCG. And then the other elimination final, Dockers versus Bulldogs over in Perth at Optus Stadium. So, look, good selection of matches. The AFL, it's pretty much that. The only state not represented in the AFL playing fraternity is South Australia, which is unusual. Port Adelaide were actually predicted to go okay this year. Adelaide are rebuilding, as we know. Yeah, but South Australia not. So, South Australia, you need to lift your game, boys. Yeah, it still shows that it's really heading towards a national league, but a genuine national league when even the northern states, Queensland and New South Wales, which traditionally haven't been as strong or as followed deeply the AFL, they're, they're doing well. So, you know, that AFL push into those northern states is working. I think so. Yeah, and it has been for a while, let's be honest. Are doing really well in terms of I'm not going to brave enough to tip, but look Geelong Collingwood I hope hopefully on form Geelong are probably the best team at the moment on form, but Melbourne are starting to get back into their groove. Swannies are showing some good signs. Collingwood are just finding ways to win. I lost one, you know, I lost the Swannies the other week, but 12 games out of 13, so very good. Nick, look in the dock, Dockers. Got some good players. And the Bulldogs, if they get a roll on. Like I said, they're probably very lucky to be there. Played some rubbish this year. But who knows? You can't... Were they 8th or 7th when they won the when they won the Premiership? Oh, down the bottom, yeah. yeah. Well, down that, yeah, they there, came so. from the bottom half, definitely the bottom half of the top eight. So, you know, who knows? It's going to be a really good final series. Looking forward to it. Albeit, I have to wait a week. But that's the way it goes. Um, look, a huge week in AFL. Also, so that's the finals. Um, just briefly, Adam Kingsley, former Port Adelaide, Port Adelaide player and now assistant coach, been named the uh, Western Sydney Giants coach for 2023. I'm not sure how many year deal it was. But I don't know a lot about um, Adam's coaching credentials as a, as a coach, but I think he's fairly highly regarded. Um, look, the way he spoke, he spoke very well. Sounds like he's got a plan. So, look, it, we spoke about coaching a while ago, didn't we, Greg? About sometimes I hit the button too early. But, look, I think in this case, Liam Cameron, even he admitted it was just time for a change. You know, seven years, seven or eight-odd years. He'd done a good job, but just needed a bit of a shake-up. So, yeah, look, and they need to because the AFL need need the Giants to be competitive. Yeah, look, the Giants are unique that they were very successful very quickly, being a, you know, still a reasonably new franchise. Yep. Don't say that in Melbourne. You're right, but we all know why, all those draft they, concessions. They got and... a lot of concessions to be successful, and they made the most of those. Let's be honest, Gold Coast got similar concessions and have been a bust since the day one. So... Yeah, because they stupidly put all those put all those concessions to get Gary Ablett. Gary Ablett, yeah. 
and you know champion player that he is or was i mean but unfortunately it didn't work out for them at the expense of you know trading off other high picks and yeah they put all their eggs in one basket and paid the penalty at gold coast you know they didn't manage it well and look what happened so yeah i, I agree with that greg some kudos to the management of greater western sydney but now they have to try and continue that you know continue what they started they can't afford to have too many seasons down the bottom i don't think no they're they're still being western sydney is potentially a huge supporter base but they still don't get they're not as well supported as the swannies in new south wales no well they're getting um, funny you say that i know this though because you know hail from what Wagga the riverina where now it's Giants territory, where it's always been the Swans for years. And there are, I think, a lot, particularly the younger kids, are supporting the Giants, which is interesting. Um, and obviously, you know, anyone that follows AFL, Western Sydney, normally supports both, really. Still has a heart for the Swannies, but... But we'll go to the w- um, GWS Games. And support um, them and want, want to see them do well, you know, just to promote the sport. So... Yes, well, good luck to the to the Giants, and we'll we'll see how it goes. Last thing we mentioned before, Greg Geelong home final at the MCG. So it's all about it's all about money, I think. Geelong, it's because they're playing Collingwood. Would would they have? I know they have in the past allowed Geelong to play finals, particularly in the first week at uh, GMBH, whatever it's called, down at Geelong. But this time, good old MCG. As I've said many times on this podcast, I'm an AFL novice, and I admit that. I just don't think it's fair. I think if you know Brisbane get a home final or Perth get the home final, and the Swans would have got a home final if they had to finish second, why Geelong can't use a, it's a it's a, we were mentioning last week. It's a great home ground. It's a, it's a good size home ground. It's fairly it's fairly modern. Yep. There's one stand being rebuilt, but the others have finished completed. So it's it's not like it's a small ground. Still get a good fit, a good sized crowd there. Oh yeah, under great conditions. I think, particularly as you just said, in the first round of the finals, I think Geelong should have got it at Geelong. Yeah, the fact that it's Collingwood, it, it means a lot of Collingwood supporters wouldn't have been able to get a ticket. I think it just would have been oh, just the way cookie crumbles. I just think it's yeah, it's hugely unfair. Now we're not making the not as you said, they're not making the Lions play down at the MCG. That's right. No, I think. Just, all I can say is Geelong supporters have been have every right to be quite, you know, peed off about that. But it has happened before. But not all, as you said, that's been inconsistent as well. They have played some home finals in Geelong. Yeah, it just seems to me, you know, Collingwood being the juggernaut they are. No, we've we've got to fill the MCG, and they will, and, and that's which the thing. they will. Yeah, you're right, Gray. They will fill the MCG. So financially for the AFL, that that's got to be part of the decision making process, surely. Oh, definitely. It's been very highly considered, I am sure. As I said, I'm making a few assumptions because I haven't actually followed it in the AFL media this week, but I know it happens just about every year when Geelong make the finals, which it shows you how consistent Geelong are because they, they normally do make the finals. Okay, now, huge week, as we said, in the AFL. We're not actually done, Greg. It was awards night. During the week, the All Australian Awards and the Players Association Awards. So, for those who who don't know, the AFL, not been an international sport, so it's not a fictional team. But it's basically a team that doesn't play anyone. I'm not sure where they do the thing against Ireland anymore, but it's basically the best players 
in each position and they pick and they pick a pick a team and always hotly contested always hotly debated but you know they can't pick everyone and so this year had quite a few players who made it before we had one Tom Hawkins his fifth all Australian you know jumper as they say but some newbies so going through it quickly the All-Australian team for 2022. Defenders were Tom Stewart from the Cats, Stephen May Melbourne, Brandon Maynard from Collingwood. And Jack, they were the, the back pockets. Um, half Halfbacks, Jack Sinclair from the St Kilda, Sam Taylor Giants, Adam Sard Carlton. In the midfield, Tuak Miller from the Suns, Clayton Oliver from Melbourne, Callum Mills is Sydney Swans. In the rucks, um, in the ruck and... Followers, we had Max Gorn from Melbourne, Pat, Paddy Cripps from Carlton, Lockie Neal from the Lions. Our half-forwards, Christian Petrusha from Melbourne, Jeremy Cameron from Geelong, Shay Bolton from Richmond. And the forwards, or full forward forward pockets, Charlie Kernow, Carlton, Tom Hawkins and captain, Geelong Cats, and Tyson Stengel from Geelong as well. And the interchange, um, Mark Bleeklafs from the Cats, Andrew Brayshaw from Frio, Isaac Heaney from the Swannies, and Connor Rosie from Port Adelaide. So, all really strong team. A little bit of, and it's happened before with the All-Australian, the captain, Tom Hawkins, was made captain. It doesn't doesn't captain his club. But, you know, it, it's just a ceremonial type thing anyway, I guess. I was going to say, they don't play anyone, so it's only on paper, and it's acknowledgement where the number of times he's been selected and where he sits in the standing within that. Fictional team. Yeah, that's right. And it's, and it's something. And it's something to be celebrated. Um, as always, a few lucky to miss out. Rory, Rory Laird, uh, Sicily, James Sicily, Tom Lynch, Richmond, and quite a few others. But as I said at the start, you can't pick everyone. So, but well done to all the players who made, that, made the All-Australian for this year. Now, the Players and Coaches Association. Now, these awards, like in lots of sports... They're actually prestigious because they're voted for, well, the coaches won by the coaches, and the players. So whoever wins it is, it's voted by their colleagues, their peers. So, you know, and, and let's face it, at the end of the day, that's the appreciation the players value most, I'm sure. If you're being acknowledged by the players, you're competing with and against week in and week out. That's, you know, pretty high credit. Yeah, Rather than you know the media just muppets like us, not like us. We know that they're professional journalists and they're well paid and all the rest of it. But at the end of the day, they're, they're, they're just not on, they're not like on the us. field playing. No, so very prestigious awards these ones. So the coaches association champion player of the year, who was actually a tie, Clayton Oliver, who I believe is the Brownlow Medal, one of the Brownlow Medal favourites, and Tuick Miller from the Gold Coast. So the AFL Players Association MVP was Andrew Brayshaw from Fremantle, a rising star and best first-year player. This player won both. Nick Dacos from Collingwood. Now, Dacos, you probably heard the name Dacos, Greg. Mr. Magic played back in the day. He was a champion Collingwood forward. And his sons both play now for Collingwood. Very, very handy, handy footballers. Um, best young player, Jay Newcomb from Richmond. Best captain, Scott Pendlebury from Collingwood. No surprise, he's been doing it for years. Most courageous. Now, this is one I think that has a lot of clout. You know, to be voted, basically the hardest, gutsiest player, and that's Liam Baker from Richmond. So, all those players, you know, very, 
very well deserved, and I'm sh- I know that they you know greatly appreciate being bestowed with with those awards. Yeah, kudos to them. As you said, highest honour being acknowledged from by your peers, the the colleagues or peers that you know play with them against week in week out, see the true performance on the field, not just distant observation. So kudos to them for being named in those positions or with those awards, I should say. Certainly. So so well done. So, Greg, that wraps up our just our AFL section. Big, considering there's no biggest, games this weekend, that's the biggest AFL wrap we've had. Biggest one we have had. But moving on, we'll move on to the NRL, as always, a fair bit happening. Do we have to talk about it? Look, I, I want to just to wind you up a bit. So, what can be said about your beloved Tigers? So, 70... They, they were horrible. So, the... The Roosters, Sydney Roosters, defeated the West Tigers 72-6 to last Saturday. It was a debacle. The only try, I think, was an intercept. I know, I, I've it, tried to erase it from my memory. It wasn't intercepted was. in about the last 10 minutes of the game. I actually watched the game. Might have actually texted you a few times through the game. Yes, didn't, you might have. Didn't wind you up too much. It was hard to watch. And as a Tigers supporter, it would have been even harder to watch. Oh, it was, it was awful. And just, you know, the effort just didn't seem to be there. A lot of the players having a crack, but just not first-grade standard. But it was all topped off by James Tarmo, who is a very normally disciplined player. You know, hasn't got a record for that descent. Gave gave the referee a mouthful, so got sin-binned, and then turned, decided to turn around and give him another mouthful. Just gave his uh, opinion of his ability as a, as a referee. Yeah, look, let's be honest. I don't think the referee had a lot to do with the performance of the Tigers that night. And he, uh, Tamo's outburst was probably frustration, no yeah, doubt about absolutely. it. Absolutely. But really, fairly should have been directed to the referee. Yeah. No, no. Let's be honest. No, the last person that really should have been directed that. And look, good on the referee. Like, doesn't we know James Tamo is a you know, is a decent decent human being, and normally a good role model. But still, you can't take that. And I would have been disappointed if the ref had just let that go. No, and not didn't. I know I said I was watching the game and just there's got to be a line in the sand. Yep. Very important. You know, youngsters playing in that yeah. team, that, you, know, you, you can't have dissent like that. It's not acceptable. So he received a two-game ban and that was going to mean the end of his West Tigers career, which would have been unfortunate. So the Tigers appealed it and he got downgraded to one game. So he will play in the last game of the season against the Raiders at Leichhardt. Look, I'm not going to get into it, Greg, but there was a little bit of debate saying, you know, that being a good bloke thing, that's a dangerous dangerous precedent for, you know, getting let off a week. But, hey, end of the day, judiciary made a decision. So he plays in the last round. Yeah, agree or not agree, got to cop it. That's a decision made, move forward. Now let's move on. Now we mentioned last week, Penrith wrapped up the minor premiership. So well done to them, the JJ Gilberton Shield. Cameron Munster, you're getting sick of it. Great play. You're getting sick of hearing about these, where, where he's going. Contract who's talks, where he's going. Uh, look, we were talking before we started recording. Bottom line, he's going to end up with a huge payday, whether he stays at Melbourne, ends up at with the Dolphins. He's where, not going anywhere. I don't wherever, think. he's going to get a massive payday for it. And I don't. I agree with you. My gut feeling says he's not going anywhere. I think he'll be in Melbourne. Yeah, I think it's just a means, a mechanism to get more money. For Melbourne to match it, look, I think Bray Nasta is his, you know, well-known player and you know, Fox host NRL three sixty. Kudos to him, I think. I think it's clever. That's what they do and get the price up. But I really don't think he's going anywhere. 
Even West Tigers, did you hear? West Tigers were even supposedly in the mix. I didn't. No, did you just I almost drop the microphone? Didn't hear it, but I can imagine your reaction if you actually read or heard that somewhere. I think it was supposedly, of course, not substantiated anywhere. It was like a seven. It was you know, one point two, one point three million bucks a year. My my young bloke was telling me, but I said, you could offer him a billion dollars. Who would go there? Like, why would he go there? At this point, I, I, and I think we touched on this the other week, and I don't want to get hung up just on the Tigers, but the problem they've got, one of the problems they've got is attracting players. How are they going to, at the current, where they are at the moment, how are they going to attract anybody? And, and they've suffered in the past by paying massive overs for players that get there and haven't performed at the level they needed. And weren't that good anyway? Um, it, it's a vicious cycle, Greg. It is because, and not just us, but it's Tigers at the moment, but other clubs, and... So they have they pay overs for players that really aren't that good anyway. They you know, sort of second tier players, but they have to do that to just show that they can attract someone rather than no one. So they do that, and look, it's it's been them in the backside, Josh Reynolds, Embi, those sort of players, and yeah, and they're still stuck, and it cost them a lot of money, and still not doing any good on the field. But anyway, as you said, we don't want to dwell on the Tigers. They just hopefully they can be competitive the next couple of games. Um, there's two rounds to go in the NRL. Is the eighth sorted yet? Or are we still? No, we're still fighting. Canberra still got a chance for eighth. Canberra do well. Actually, next thing I had to talk about was the Broncos on the slide. They are on the slide. Yeah, yeah. Glad you brought it up. Go for it. So they lost last night convincingly. Got 60, smashed. Was it sixty-two or sixty-four to about six or eight or twelve? They were yeah. They were really poor. Look, Adam Reynolds, you know, their star halfback and organiser, went off early-ish with HIA. But they even looked like getting rolled before he went off, I thought. They yeah, they did, they played similar to last week. Just not really switched on. And it, it, the, their defence is starting to look like the last couple of years. They've gone backwards. You know, it wasn't that long ago we were, you know, espousing the praises of the Broncos, how good yep. a season they're having, and really look cemented in the top, Eight, if not well, the top, they were four top four or five. chance for a long time. But now they're, as you said, conversations about missing out completely, which is a worry. So, in terms of a top eight, then they are now. I think they're two points ahead of the Raiders, but because of that flogging, the Raiders only have to if they win, they overtake them. So the Broncos can very easily miss the eight. Who are the Raiders got? Do you know who they've got? Then yes, they've got oh, this week. I'm trying to think who they got this week. Last round is the Tigers at Leichhardt. You'd have to give them a really good chance to. You'd have do to. The Although, ironically, remember the last couple of oh, five years or so when the Tigers continually finished ninth, a couple of games the Tigers had to win their last game at Leichhardt against the Raiders. Bit of a pattern they play mm-hmm. there. The last game, <laughs> and the Raiders put fifty on them a couple of times. So I wonder if the Tigers it might be time for a bit of payback. But I can't see that happening. No, on current form, I can't. Tigers got nothing to play for now, let's be honest, apart from pride. And you got the other team playing for a final spot. I reckon Ricky Stewart will get them up for that. I really do. Oh, so do I. I think it's you know almost inevitable that they'll win that. In terms of this week, now it's, it's, what you said there, Greg, just briefly, it's not just the Tigers, isn't it? People are saying yeah, disgraceful efforts, Newcastle, teams like that. But I will admit, it's such a brutal... It's such a competitive and physical game. Always has been, but even more so now. Teams that have clocked off mentally 
only got to be 5% below the standard required and it's 50-point flogging. And we saw a few of those last week. So I think a few teams have switched off ready for their end-of-season trip. Yeah. So I'm not saying it's excusable. No, the no. End, at the end of the day, it's you know players' own performance, pride in the jumper and all that. But I do think it these days it does get out of hand quicker on the scoreboard when that happens. But at the end of the day, they are professionals. The fans pay good money and all that. So, you know, probably should be doing better than 72 to 6. Yeah, that's not... Not first grade standard. Right, the Raiders, you know, they play Manly at Brookvale. Oh, no, in Canberra, sorry, GIO. So Manly aren't going well, and they're Man- out of the eight now too, so you'd have to think that'll go to the Raiders at home. Well, 125 favourites compared to $4 for yeah, the year. Yeah, no, you'd have to think the Raiders will get up, and if Brisbane have already lost, they've already played this round, so they're, you know, Raiders could find themselves in eighth at the end of this round. Yeah, they could be. Yeah, if they win tomorrow, they will mm. be. And playing the Tigers, that's going to be looking good for them. And the Raiders are a sort of team. If they get their act together, they can play good footy. So, going to be interesting yeah, you next you can really week. easily see now, given you've just said that, with the Raiders got um, Manly and the Tigers the last two matches, you could really see Brisbane dropping out. Certainly. And I think it was Andrew Johns last night was saying the only problem with that for Raiders, it opens the door to them, but that's a pretty, that's a pretty soft lead-in. To the finals doesn't set you up well for the finals footy. Yeah, whereas in terms of quality opposition, South and Roosters next week and all that, some really competitive games. Is it Penrith and Storm tonight? I think it is Penrith and Storm. So some really tough competitive matches up ahead. So, but anyway, you've just got to, as they say, it's a new game in the finals. You just got to make it. You can't. You can't win anything if you're not there. No, once you're in the eight, then you give yourself a chance. And as remote as it might be, you've at least got a chance by getting there. So. What's happened previously just doesn't matter. Not anymore. All right, so we'll look forward to this round of NRL and the next round. We'll have a chat in the lead-up next week. Your favourite stadium, Greg, Allianz Stadium. Don't start me again, please. <laughs> I went on my rant last week. But, look, they've named... When we say grandstands, these modern stadiums, they're more like sections, aren't they? Because they're not yeah. the traditional grandstand no. where you have the signage at the front. No, it's, it's one continuous stand around the whole field and well-built. not saying it's not well-designed got my whinges about it but in terms of stands and but yeah right you know you can't they're not really yeah named after a grandstand they're just sections within the stands sections within the stand and Where, apparently the signs for this once they do the you know the first the opening of it will sort of be towards the back or near the bars and all that sort of stuff but still very well deserved so five different sections so and named after a variety of sports which have been played either at that stadium or many years ago at the old sports ground so we've got Johnny Warren, the former, the late, great Socceroos captain and just great advocate for soccer in Australia. Real trailblazer for soccer slash football within Australia, for sure. Yeah, no, well-deserved captain Socceroo. Um, Ronnie Coote, the former South and East legend, locked forward, um, well-deserved as well. Has been discussed that as a future immortal, possibly. So I think that's really good credit to Ron. Mm-hmm. So well done. Betty Cuthbert. Absolute champion of athletics. Champion running, runner, yep. Sprinter. Arthur Beetson, also highly deserved. Former um, Balmain and Eastern Suburbs front rower. And look, and also done it all in rugby league. Played for Australia. I think it was the, he was the first Aboriginal Indigenous person. He was to, definitely the first Indigenous. To captain any sport. Australian team. An Australian team. Just a champion front rower. And premiership captain for the Roosters. And 
Rugby Union, which is also has a rich history at the Sydney Football Stadium, Sir Nicholas Shahidi, who's a Wallaby legend and also a, an administrator. He was responsible, largely responsible as SCG Trust uh, for building of the original 1988 Sydney Football Stadium. So they've covered the variety of sports there, and uh, yeah, I think it's very apt. I saw a little bit on the news. They had uh, Betty Cuthbert's sister was there. Ronnie Coote was there. Johnny Warren's son was there. So well represented and, yeah, well deserved. So I look, look forward to seeing, I think it's next week, the opening. Oh, it opens during the week. With it does open, but the first... Uh, first NRL's the Roosters Souths. Yeah, but I think it's the... I'm not sure. I think, I'm not sure if there's games actually before that NRL match. There is other, something. Just, you know, Wallabies have got an upcoming game there. The women's soccer team have a game friendly against Canada coming up there as well in the opening. So there's a, there's a lot of events coming up to open that stadium. Can I get their money's worth? Yeah, look, despite everything we've said, I do look forward to going there just to see what it's like. I agree. I will give it a chance on a not raining day because it doesn't have a roof. No, no. I know you won't be going there if it's raining. Formula One, I know we've spoken about this a bit in the last couple of weeks, Greg. The McLaren Daniel Ricciardo Circus. What's going on? So it was announced... Yesterday, we're recording this on Friday, so I think it was Thursday, it was actually officially announced that Daniel Ricciardo won't be racing with McLaren next year. He had one more year to go on his contract, um, but they have come to a financial agreement where Daniel Ricciardo won't be racing with McLaren. Did, did I hear, actually you say that, did I hear $23 million? I didn't read, I didn't hear a reader figure, but I'm sure Daniel's not walking away out of pocket. <laughs> no, I'm sure he is not. A bit of a circus, though, wasn't it? It has so, been ongoing rumours underlying. And as you said, they've been in their summer, uh, Northern Hemisphere summer break. They're about to start again this weekend. I'm not sure where the race is, but it does come back this weekend. Now, and we've spoken about the yep, Australian young driver, Oscar Pasastri. He, I'm assuming he's a replacement, but that's not... It's not official yet. yet. That is the word that Piastri will be named as Daniel Ricciardo's replacement. So Australian for Australian at McLaren. But that's not official yet, nor is where Ricardo going being. He hasn't signed anywhere for next year. I did read he's passionate, wants to continue, but there's only so many teams with driver seats available. And I'm sure he wants to, you know, he has won races. He's been quite successful in his career. So I'm sure he wants to race in a team that's somewhat competitive. Um, So it'll be interesting to see where Daniel Ricardo ends up. Yeah, I have a feeling he'll get a drive somewhere. I hope he does because I think he's still got a few years to offer and by all accounts, very popular uh, driver. Yep. So I'd like to see him continue, but it'll be interesting to see if Piastri is formally named at McLaren in the coming days or weeks. Yeah, it certainly won't be a surprise. Will it won't it? be any surprise when it, when it happens, but... Yeah, well, hopefully they get it sorted and all the speculation can, can stop. And we can get back to watching the drivers finish the second half of the season. That's right, do the business. Now, cricket, Greg, just a couple of things briefly. Forgot to mention last week, we spoke about Collingwood, love or hate. Um, this gentleman, who's been 40, 45 years, and particularly a TV commentary, but Ian Chappell, former Australian captain, very popular captain amongst the players, re- announced his retirement from cricket commentary. Had been with the Channel 9 commentary team from the early days when Kerry Packer introduced World Series cricket and he played for Kerry Packer's World Series team he and did. then moved into the commentary box. Moved over to Channel 7 recent, more recent years when they uh, signed the cricket contract after Channel 9. Bit of ABC radio. Bit of ABC radio, very true. 
Look, he was a bit divisive. You either, I think you loved him or hated him. I didn't like him as a commentator. However, I do respect... Uh, he, he always had a strong opinion about, about the game and always voiced his opinion stuck to it. So I respect that. I, yep. I do yeah. respect that. I, I'm with you, Greg. I couldn't stand him as a commentator. I found him very dry, very monotone. <laughs> yeah, very dry, monotone. But And it, his stories. His stories that would last five overs. <laughs> and uh, and it would get to a punchline. You're waiting for something and it would just end on nothing. Never got there flat. Flat as all the time. Very. But... Uh, he didn't sit on the fence, and I and I do respect that. Whether you agreed with where he stood on a position or aspect of the game, no, I agree with that. Look, he had an opinion, had no qualms in in expressing it, and didn't care about repercussions or what people thought of him. And to be honest, I was quite impressed with his last comment I read, and he just said, "Look, end of the day, some people, many people will think I'm a prick, and many people will think I was okay." He said, and that's. That's people's decisions. Nothing to do with me. So, you know, but look, Chapelli, 40, that's a great, that's a long time. Certainly part of our childhood. Definitely grew up, yep. Yeah. Along, along with Tony, Greg, Bill Laurie, Ian Chappell. Richie. It was just, Richie, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was always part of the cricket voices that we grew up with. And look, very knowledgeable. I don't think that can be denied, Chapelli. No, I knew the game. Absolutely knew the game. Um, yeah. As I said, rubbed rubbed a lot of people up the wrong way. Um, if Cookie, if you're listening, hello, amongst others. But hey, as I said, very shame worn like in that. Had an opinion, happy to express it, and you know, always apart from the stories, hanging on stories from yesteryear. But when he spoke about the modern cricket, was you know always saying stuff that he thought could improve the game, which wasn't a bad thing. So, anyway, Chapelli, whatever you're up to in retirement, you've definitely well earned. And, yeah, another – well, it's almost gone, isn't it? It's gone, that the old Channel 9 That original Channel stable. 9 group that, you know, we talk about our childhood. Is, uh, you know, that was the sounds of summer for my childhood. I think they've all finished up now. Yeah, they're all, you know, be it, be it um, you know, retired from the scene due to um, heading, up, heading upstairs or – or just retired, you know, because they've come to the stage where they've realised that, you know, the, the game is up for them. So, yeah, a bit of a shame, but that's just the way it works, isn't it? Yeah. T- time marches on. It does. Now, speaking of time very briefly, old father time over at Lords. South South Africa played England last week, the first test match there, under England with their new coach, New Zealander Brendan McCullum, and, you know, who's embracing a sort of attack. More, more attack. aggressive style of cricket. Yeah, Look, it's not always going to work, and that was shown in the first test. They got absolutely smashed. I couldn't even tell. I think it was over. I watched a bit of the first day. I think I turned on the third night, and I was and I was showing replays, and it wasn't raining. <laughs> no, it was all over in two days. Or yeah, it was close to two days. Having said that, the second test has started, and I saw South Africa were rolled for 151, and England in reply are three for about 120. So, you know, they're. they're Turning around, yeah. Yes. So we're definitely, definitely hitting back. So yeah, very exciting. And we've spoke last week about all the the myriad of cricket that's coming up shortly between now and well, basically, you know, um, this time next year. And look, the last yeah. thing in our sports wrap, Greg, over to you with a bit of basketball news. Lauren Jackson, her comeback has continued. Comeback continues. She's amazing. So this week she announced that she'll be playing in the WNBL, which is the highest form of professional women's basketball in Australia. 
and she's playing for the Southside Flyers, which are a Victorian team uh, based out of Bendigo, I believe, which is interesting because she's always, in her WNBL career, which is amazingly successful, always played for Canberra Capitals or I think the AIS at one stage yep. as well, but always based herself in the Canberra teams. So to move to a Victorian team, but continue this comeback that started in for Aubrey Wodonga in the NBL 1, which is, the, as I said, the second, I've said before, is the second tier competition, yep. has been named in the World Cup team, coming up in less than a month now in Sydney, and now continuing that for the 22-23 season for the WNBL Oh, look, I think, again, I've said this over and over, I think it's fantastic for women's basketball in Australia. It's, it's put the WNBL back on, you know, the back page of the papers again this week with her announcement. And I think that's just great to see for not just the women's game, but basketball in general. It's, it's Yeah, it can't be a bad thing. No, it's good. I hope she looks after herself. She, you know, she's obviously got a really good re- training regime and very happy with what's happening for her body because she did retire because of injuries yep. originally. So... The management must be working really well for her and she's really got that under control and happy. So hopefully that continues and we, we see Lauren for another... It'll only be a year or two, let's be honest, but you know it'll get people into the stadiums again and really yeah, put... One or two years. Yeah, you know, the WNBL back on the map and I think that's great for the game. No, I agree totally. It cannot do any harm at all. And it's just well done to see... Because as, as you've mentioned before... Like she's the goat, basically. She is not just a women's basketball of Australian basketball. When you look at the history and her achievements, she's way beyond what any other players achieved in, in or any Australian players achieved. Yeah. So she is the goat, and we'll get bums on seats, and that's got to be good for the sport, and in particular women's game promoting promoting that again in Australia. For sure. So I thought that was a great way to finish our sports wrap this week as we you know move forward. Yes, we move forward um, in our. Shortly, we'll come to our we've got a very short sort of look at, rather than history this week, Greg, I was thinking we'll just have a bit of a theme going. Yep. And I was thinking if our theme, Shaquille O'Neal is in the country. He is. As you would have seen. Bit of a sporting, uh, talking to her. Yeah. So we might have a little bit of a chat across sports. We'll just bring up some names. Big men. Been, been a huge human being that he is. Massive. Yeah. Just some, you know, some popular or some, you know, very skillful big men who have gra- and women, sorry, not just men who have graced the um, sporting field. Okay, we'll have a we'll have a chat about that, and then we'll do our regular deep dive. So look forward look forward to moving on. Look, we said it was a quiet week in sport, and famous last words. We've taken up forty five minutes of your listeners' time, so even a quiet week, we're still plenty to talk about. Always, always plenty to talk about. Right, Greg. Next cab off the rank is we're going to do a quick follow-up from last week's history look, the Eastern Suburbs Roosters. And we've had, I've been talking to some people, had a bit of feedback. We just asked people to send in some some names, some players that they that they remember from the Roosters. Um, you know, some of them cult heroes, more than great players. Some of them just champion players. And we noticed in our little bit of extra research, the number one cap. So they normally give it to the fullback when a team sort of starts. Harry Jersey Flegg. And I'm sure you might know that name. Yeah, uh, lower grade competition or um, younger. Is it under 23s, under 20s, under something or others? Yeah, these days. These days. I get confused. Harold Matz, Jersey Flegg, SG Ball. But it's one of those. Yes, I know one of the um, competitions leading into first grade NRL is the Jersey Flegg. I didn't know it was named after a player. I had no idea. Yeah. Interesting. I'm not sure where the Jersey nickname sort of came from, but yeah, interesting. Um, we mentioned a few last week in the earlier days. Obviously, Daily Messenger, you know, being such an important 
part of the the whole rugby league story. He was cap not he was cap number eighteen, but and I mentioned a bit of history. Dick Dunn from last week played in the early forties, late thirties, early forties. Some interesting ones though, as we get through the years. Had someone mentioned to me players like from the sixties, John Peard, Bomber Peard, you know, who went on well basically started using the bomb, hence the nickname, and went on, you know, played with the Roosters and also uh, Parramatta. Parramatta. Or, I remember them. I remember the name more from Parramatta days. Um Yes. Bomb appeared. He he was actually halfback when there was controversy at the time because Peter Sterling, I think, replaced him. Um, yeah, because he was getting to the end of his career. Was was Bomber? But also, we spoke last week about how the Eastern Suburbs have changed. I think John Peer was a Rose Bay junior when Rose Bay had a footy team so, and, a f- and a feeder club to the yeah. So you know, I don't think I think rugby league is uh, long gone from from Rose Bay. Don't think they've had a rugby league team for a while there in Rose Bay. No, just how how things change. Look, someone that went on with great um or great sort of impact as a coach rather than a player, but Jack Gibson, player four eighteen, he played one hundred twenty four games for the Roosters. So he's, you can see why you're so attached to them, Roosters man. Also, look a bit of a slower period for them, sort of 50s, 60s. Now, 80s, sort of our era, oh, sorry, 70s first, because obviously the, they had great success, particularly in those mid-70s. Mid to late 70s, yeah. Yeah, Arthur Pitt, sorry, Arthur Beetson, Ronnie Coote, Elwyn Waters, poached from the from the uh, Souths, but also players like Bill Mullins, the father of Brett Mullins. He was a really, really strong winger, um, very durable, which some people find laughable because Brett Mullins was not known for that. Actually, quite quite the opposite. I remember my dad talking about how tough Bill Mullins was. Um, players now the eighties, just some really, really strong, just well liked, honest toilers, shall we say? But players like sorry, going back to the seventies, someone's mentioned Barry the Axe or Bunny Riley ended up coaching them for a little bit, but also. I think was was that Bunny Riley the Axe as well? I think he was also known as the the original Axe. Not a big man, but just a ferocious tackler. And he played 198 games for them. So a really really good. Oh, interesting. We also had John Quayle, who I didn't realise played played for the Roosters. I didn't know that either. Headed up the old New South Wales Rugby League for a long yes. time. Yeah, very good administrator. Prior to the NRL days yeah. when it was New South Rugby League, which led into the ARL. But yeah, yeah John Quayle's very yeah. successful administrator there in the eighties. Yeah, early early nineties. Yeah, yeah, late sixties, early seventies. His playing mm. career, I think, mainly Parramatta. He played most of his footy at, but he was there for a couple of years. Bill Mullins, we mentioned, hundred ninety-two games. And remember, back in those days, it was, um, hundred ninety-two doesn't sound like a lot, but they didn't play as many games. <laughs> they didn't play as many games back then. So that's, that's a lot of games. Now, interesting, Bruce Ashford, who didn't actually play but must have been in a squad. I just wonder if he's any relation to Blake Ashford, who played played for the uh, Tigers later on and the Warriors. He was an Eastern Suburbs junior. I, I know that for a fact. Um, John Gray. Now, 80s, more our era. We've got that golden period of the s- mid-70s. Dick Fournette, who was a famous Parramatta player, 
also played for the Roosters. Russell, now again on the ones that are well known, Russell, Russell Fairfax. Fairfax. He was he was like the glamour boy, wasn't he? He was. Yeah. Who who did he go after that? He was because he was rugby union Roosters. Did he go to Manly? I want to say Manly. Yeah. Pretty sure he did. Yeah, I think he did go to Manly. Yeah, but he, now he was a sensational attacking player, and definitely you know, sort of rock star type type persona. You know, whole package, athletic. Back in those days, considered good looking by the ladies. All that, all that sort of thing. Now, interesting one, John John Reinberger. He's really interesting. Only played two games, first grade. I think his debut was in the seventy-four or five grand final. Wow. So what happened was, I forget who it was who was out injured, and he was playing lower grades, and they decided they would go, they wouldn't get, you know, someone swap positions. I think it was a center, and they said they're going to replace him with a center, and he was who they thought was the next best. So he played, they won the comp, and yeah, I think he played one more game after that, and that was it. Yeah, so interesting, interesting career, interesting story, and played really well in that grand final. Didn't didn't just make up the numbers. We mentioned Horry Hastings, Bob O'Reilly, famous Parramatta player, but he played there late. Kerry Bostead, winger, very famous there. winger. Yeah, very famous winger started there. Marty Gurr played with the Roosters and also Manly. Um, it's always funny, Greg, some of the plays you didn't realise who started there. Noel Cleal, who's generally associated with Manly, but himself, him and his brother, I think it was Les Cleal, started at the Roosters. Uh, Ronnie Gibbs, he started in the Roosters as a centre, you know, became a very good forward. Ron Giddo, Russell Gartner, played 31 games. I always thought Russell Gartner would have Manly Van Balmain, but started at the Roosters, I didn't know that. Ricky Walford. I had no idea. No, you neither. He started at the Roosters. Before the Dragons. Yeah, Dragons man. Warren McDonald, who played um, you know, Tigers Administrator. Les Cleal, I just mentioned him. Mike Eden, who we might have mentioned last week. Ronnie Gibbs. He played 29 games for the Roosters. But starting to get into some really you know, stuff that we relate to. Paul Dunn started at the Roosters. Played John Ferguson, Chica Ferguson. So he started at Newtown. Went to the Roosters and then Canberra. Canberra. Um, the late Scott Gale, the Roosters in 1984. You now went on to be a very good player for the Tigers, for Balmain. Uh, then he went to North Sydney after that. Gary Worth was a good fullback. He started with um, Newcastle when they sort of entered the comp. But he was Wayne Portlock was another good fullback. Now Terry Madison, who generally people associate with Broncos. Broncos. But he started at the Roosters. In the mid eighties, also the the axe Trevor Gilmeister was a rooster. He played ninety six games for. Them. I didn't realize he was a rooster. There yeah, I go. remember watching him at the Roosters. No, I had no idea he was a rooster. He was a yeah. He was it was very poor. Um, the team was quite poor when he was playing for them, but he was always very good. David Truella was a very good player for a while. Hooker, very popular player. Craig Salvatore, I remember him. Salvo, very rugged front rower, played over a hundred games. Brendan Hall, probably my favourite, one of my favourite roosters from that era. Really good 5'8", just a really solid first grader. Um, famous, The famous line was, everyone used, if only he had a little bit more pace. If he was a bit quicker, he would have been a, a rep footballer. But just, just lacked that tiny bit of pace to, to be elite, but he was a really good player. 160 games for them. Slippery Morris, 
couple of years at the Roosters. See, again, I didn't realise that. I remember big dragons. Yeah. Dragons, man. But, for, yeah, didn't realise that he played start at the Roosters. Um, anyone that listens to 2SM Sport, Brett Patworth, known as the Toff, he, he converted from Union for big money and just got injured all the time. Only managed seven games. John Elias, who played for lots of clubs in that late 80s, early 90s. Pat Jarvis, another very well-known player. Another really good fullback, Rod Silver. Played 92 games. He started his career there. But then he went on and with the Bulldogs, won a comp, which is great for him. Martin Afire, a famous English winger. Played at the Roosters. Wasn't that successful. Now, this is one that you people forget. Paul Vorton. Finished his career at the Roosters. Are there, like yeah, two that, seasons, if I'm correct, yeah, that, after yeah. a very successful career. That was Manly. sad, though, wasn't it? was a sad way to finish off. Yeah, you know, like you said, any the second year particularly played really well, but he was just a manly legend, and they, the fact that he still loves manly as much as he does is credit to him because they just absolutely just threw him to the curb, you know, and he just did everything for that team, you know, would happily die for manly, and yet that's how he was repaid. But unfortunate, but that's the way it goes. Terry Hill at the time, this was huge. Remember, it was Terry. It was Terry Hill when they brought in the draft. He didn't want to go to the Roosters. He was drafted to the Roosters, wanted to go, believe it or not, to Western Suburbs. And he won his case. It was deemed that it was unfair restraint of trade. And that was it. The draft was thrown out and it's never returned. Professional rugby league in this country. Look, Luke Rickardson, we mentioned last week, 301 games. Nigel Gaffey, 110. Just looking at, obviously, now Brad Fittler. Yeah, he was the turning point, wasn't he? For, for the modern era of success, yeah. When he, when he came over from Penrith. It was a really successful move. Adam McDougall, who remembers that? Yeah, obviously a great Newcastle man. Played a handful of games late in his career. Um, yeah, Brad Fittler, 217 games. That, that's, you know, about 90-odd for Penrith. Mm-hmm. And he was, you know, he's, he's the modern day, he's the start of the modern day greatness, wasn't he? Yep. Everything that came with that. Look, and we could go on forever, Greg, but we won't. But, you know, just a team that Anthony Minicello. Look, I think it just shows, one, they're a foundation club, so they've been around a really long time, and two, they've just attracted talent in different... They've had a couple of down periods, as you pointed out last week, but overall, hugely successful club in the rugby league world. And I think the fact they've been able to attract quality players with not having, a, more recently particularly, not having a junior, a huge junior base to draw from so they've had to attract players to the club which they've done really successfully yeah done really well I had no idea Craig Fitzgibbon 228 games I didn't realise he played that many for the Roosters no, I always thought you know he's playing for the Dragons, Dragons. as well yeah, that's that's surprising well, Adrian Morley probably their best English recruit he was just you know he was feared <laughs> and rightly so a couple of blokes walking out headless blokes walking around still a bit typical English forward he was really good so, look, and now, all the way down now to, you know, Joseph Swiley, who, you know, he looks like poached from South, of course, just to keep that rivalry going. But, you know, uh, JWH, Jared Rahia Hargrave, still going. He's played 271 games for them. So, yeah, just Boyd Courtner, Daniel Tupo still going on 221. So, James Tedesco's already played over 100 games for them. So, yeah, as you said, Greg, they just keep attracting, keep being successful. And, you know, no juniors, but well, there's one or two things. They either die 
because they because of that or you work your way around it and that's what they do and they've worked their way around it and continue to be successful all right so that's all on the the red white and bloosters for now but look we look forward to having a look at the next rugby league club in a few weeks yeah, great roundup, and you know, as you said, hard. That took a few minutes, but it's such a long list of amazing players that. And we didn't even, yeah. There's still lots we we didn't mention. Yeah, didn't mention more by long shot. So just the names, you forget that they started their career, ended their career, or even had any connection to the Roosters. But it just shows, you know, when you listen to some of those names, how successful they've been. Now the quality names of you know somehow been around or within the Roosters. Yeah, and with more to come, like a couple of names, Suwali and. Here and um, Victor Radley. I just wonder when their careers are said and done, you know, how, how that will look. Pretty exciting times. Look, if you're a Roosters fan, a true Roosters fan, like that's that that big difference. But good times will continue, I think. Now, Greg, just to finish, we thought it might be fun just for a couple of minutes. Shaquille O'Neal is in town with a fair bit of fanfare. Well, actually, he's in Melbourne, I think. But he is. He's coming to Sydney, but I think he's starting in Melbourne. He's on a speaking tour. Now, um, NBA royalty. Now, Absolutely. Shaquille O'Neal like, is a sort of name where people who don't know anything about basketball anything, just know who he is. So could you enlighten us briefly? So career-wise, what is, why is he so well-known, highly regarded? Amazingly successful. Played, uh, made clubs better. He was drafted number one to Orlando Magic, which yep. over, um, have not been hugely successful since their existence. But made the club better. Didn't win a championship with Orlando. Then moved, well, forced to trade for himself, as great players sometimes do in the NBA, and went and played for the Lakers. Right. And played with Kobe at the Lakers. Now, they won three championships together, but didn't get on very well. Um, and the, the issue was they're both alpha males and both yep. be, wanted to be number one in a yep. very successful um, basketball town in LA. And there's, and there's only one Kobe Bryant. And there's only one Kobe Bryant. And there's only one Shaquille O'Neal. And yep. there was never middle ground. So they were successful. But they weren't particularly. They didn't particularly like each other at the time. I think that's changed. And um, Shaq said some really nice things since Kobe's passing a couple of years ago. But yeah, they they struggled to coexist in the same team. After that, he went to Miami. Yep. And again, won championships with Miami after his Lakers time. I think Shaq has five championships, three with Lakers, and I want to say two with Miami. But I, I could be wrong about that. And then after Miami, he trundled towards the end of his career. He trundled around the league. He spent a little bit of time in Boston, a little bit of time in Cleveland. So past his best. But, but just, past his best, but he played on for a few more years. And, and still did great things, I'm sure, for their support. Well, I think bought the culture in, bought the yeah. crowds in. You know, the name's not going anywhere. And, and still he has a huge media presence now. And, and because, isn't it, one of the main things about him was his physical Physical presence. size. He's, he's just a huge human being. Do you know his actual... He's over seven foot. No, I think he's about seven one. Yep, I think it's around seven one. He's just a massive man mountain, and obviously, and a fairly generous number of kilograms to go with that. I would suggest so, but also sort of linked with his charisma as well. Really good personality for the media, you know. And in in a sport, American sports always big on that. In any case, but when you get someone, you know, if his size, his ability. It was always going to be a big, a big marketer's dream, wasn't it? Yeah, and and he, and you know what? He's he's one of those orators. He's a good storyteller. It's a good package, isn't it? Yeah. You can see why. Yeah. He, well, now you say I remember him early nineties. Remember there was ad for Nike or someone a shoe, and they have him knocking, and they said 
um, you're too early. That was before he went when he was drafted. And he said, yeah, but I'm ready. Yes. Or something because he didn't go. He skipped. He skipped college. college or, yeah. There was something around him going to the draft early yeah. in the end. But he said he was ready. And yeah, so he already had a, he was already known then. So just a, he did go to college because he played with LSU, mm-hmm. Louisiana State University, and they actually toured here. He, there's footage of him playing against the old North Melbourne Giants. Okay, so I wonder did he skip? So I think he might have only done one year of one college, year. And something then, like and that, and then nominated for the draft. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, but really, you know, strong, engaging personality. So what Greg and I were doing, we're just having a quick brainstorm of big people. Obviously, most of the sports we look at are male-dominated, but big men who sort of have that popularity because it's sort of a mixture of physical presence and personality. It's nearly a bit of a cult following. Yeah, like a cult following. So just having across all sorts of different sports, and we'd love to some listeners to give us some, you know, send in some more names. But just having a quick look, we came up with names like John Daly. Perfect example, I think. Although he only won one major, is that one major? Sure, one or two, yeah. Just really popular, you know, because he's typical bloke, likes a drink, likes, likes a smoke. smoke. Yeah. You know, not the fittest guy. A few others like that. George Rose, you know, quite portly gentleman, front rower, but great player, great bloke, fun, really funny. I don't know if you heard him. And does great things for um, Indigenous, for the Indigenous community. Also involved in boxing as well. Um, is that Mark Riddell? Mark Riddell. Piggy. Piggy, but Mark Everyone Riddell. Everyone knows him as Piggy. Played for Dragons. Dragons and Penrith. early days. Yeah, but yeah, just a real person personality. I do not remember. Hopefully a listener can tell us his name. The Refrigerator from the NFL. NFL. I only know him. I know exactly what you're talking about, but don't know the name either. Got no idea what his name was, but he was hugely popular. Babe Ruth, you know, probably the best, considered the best baseballer of all time. Certainly the most well-known baseballer globally. And he was a he was a very big, big person. You mentioned Barry Bonds. Barry Bonds was a big man. I think he had the batting. Step, I think like, he had the batting record there for did. a while. Don't know if he still. I holds. think it was a big man for a reason, though. Is yes. that correct? I think it might have been somewhat enhanced. Enhanced. But say something. Look, cricket has cricket not been the most well these days. Cricketers are very fit. Not always the case in the past, but players like Merv Hughes, extremely popular. You know, used to run him, a bit of a beat gut, but very, very good cricketer and great personality. Ian Bovem, when your nickname's Beefy. Beefy, yeah. Well, it just about says it all, but exceptionally good cricketer, great competitor. Tubby Taylor, Mark Again, Taylor. when you get nicknamed Tubby, it says it all, doesn't it? It does say it all. Well, same remarkably, though, he's about the same. He hasn't sort of hasn't got changed, any hasn't got bigger, hasn't got smaller. He's just stayed no. the same through his career, retirement. Yep, just obviously that's his comfortable but, weight. You know, um, hugely successful and... Considered a really good captain for Australia for a long time too. He was, rightly so. Re- AFL, Renee Kink, he was known as the Hulk. Back in the 80s, he was a I think Collingwood, Collingwood champion. Ended up at Essendon. You know, Collingwood, I think, gave him, showed him the door eventually, but just a huge, huge muscly man. And obviously the Hulk was a big TV series at the time. Got that nickname. A few other big gentlemen who probably not as known for the Sort of more, not prickly, but like, but not, you know, sort of interesting personalities, which rub some people the wrong way, some people loved, but great players and were big men. Tony Lockett, obviously, AFL, leading goal kicker, AFL, or, you know, certainly just absolute champion player. Well, Darius, 
Dallas Donnelly probably belongs, should have been in that first list. He was just you know very hard man, but just known as being a real character. One, not known for his playing that much, but a real character as well, David Demuel Hosking. He played for Manly or Souths for a while. I think Manly, back Souths and back to Manly. He was just known, apparently, he was up the Harvard RSL or whatever it's called up there, beer in one hand, smoke in the other, and playing playing the next day. Look, Willie Mason was, you know, he was a big personality in the early 2000s. Very, very large gentleman. Ian Roberts, you know, very, very big, you know, known just for his fid size. For his toughness for Manly. And his toughness. And, you know, he's become an actor and a great advocate. The first, significantly, the first, I think, only rugby league player to... He was the first rugby league player to come out as being gay, gay. yeah. So, So, you know, he just broke down barriers. Very much so. Broke people. (laughs) On the field and then broke down barriers culturally in following years. And there was... I thought I had one more, but there's plenty others as well. That just, you know, sort of have that combination of personality and, and physical size. And, you know, there's plenty plenty more of them, I'm sure. So if anyone wouldn't mind sending us an email or how's our, how's our social media going, Greg? We're getting a few emails. We love the feedback. Yep. Um, got a few emails each week, which we really appreciate. That's So, yeah, hit us up at twosportingmuppets at gmail.com. That's number twosportingmuppets at gmail.com. Any feedback, suggestions, ideas, clarification, yep. questions, hit us up because it helps us come up with some content for the show. And anyone, yeah, any more, if you could add to our list, we'll do that. We're happy to, um, to read them out next week. Love to, actually. All right, Greg, that just about wraps it up. It does. Now, the, what we thought was not a big week in sport is we've ended up well over the hour again. So even when there's not much, we find stuff to talk oh, about, always. which makes the, it fun. The, the beauty of sport. But as always, good luck to everyone's team. It is in Australia getting to the business end. The finals are starting shortly in football, which is always a great time of year. Springtime hits. If you're an AFL fan, enjoy your week off before the <laughs> serious stuff starts yeah. next week. Or perhaps get out, get out and watch some local footy. NRL, two weeks to go. Just about every... There's not. There's a few games that are insignificant, but the rest, lots of games that really matter. And are going to have an impact on how that top eight finishes. But whoever you support, I hope you have a great weekend. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next week. Thanks, Greg. Catch up soon. No worries, Greg. <laughs>